I am here with a man that needs no introduction. Fashion and style is his function. The man can sing, the man can dance, the man can juke you out of your pants. It is the one and only Quavo. Quavo? Yes, sir. What's happening, man? The Huncho himself is in the building. Can I tell you that you just got good energy and I can feel it through the screen right now, and I appreciate it. Well, yeah, that's all we love to do is give out good, positive energy. We wake up every day and hit the great energy button, you know what I'm saying, and try to store all that energy and collecting from the people, mm. the good people all surround yourself with, you know what I'm saying? I want to give uh, some good energy to the people that are making it possible. I like to handle business before pleasure. And uh, you are here today because I hear that alongside Beast Mode, Richard Sherman, Joe Montana, you are now an owner, my friend, of a team in the fan-controlled football league. And I want to know, I know you, I've seen you throw a football. What is it like to get involved and why did you pick these guys? That's a blessing, man. It's time to boss up, you know. Um, I'm the huncho, you know, I'm the huncho of the team, the huncho of my family, the huncho of, of, of everything that I put my hands on. I just wanted to, you know, be a part of, you know, a, a football league that, you know what I'm saying, that we can control and we could be a part of the people, you know. Um, I just love the game, and sometimes I just be sitting at the screen, just want to call the play or just know the play myself. And I'm so excited to, you know, what I'm saying, get this call and be a part of it. And the names, I was just like, oh hell yeah! Well, what are the names? What are we talking about? It's an all-star cast: Mike Tyson, Marshawn Lynch. Mm. You know, uh, my boy Richard Sherman. All-star See, that's cast. The thing. Now that you're owners, that owner meeting sounds amazing. You know, you go on a yacht with Mike Tyson and, and Beast Mode and Joe Montana. That sounds fun. Oh, yeah. It's going to be fun. Man. I can't wait till we have those business meetings, man. We some business, nice business players with us, man. So I know it's going to be streaming on Twitch, which is smart. That's where all the young guys are anyway. Um, if you were picking plays, which is one thing you can do, what kind of an OC would you be? Are we throwing it every play? Are we taking shots? Ooh. At the gate, we going spread offense. Um, that's what I played in high school as a quarterback. I ran spread, and I love it to death. I mm. think it get the job done. We're going to air it out all day. I need some good receivers with some great hands. Let's go there, then. I was trying to come up with an artist fantasy team. You're my quarterback because I've seen you throw it 50 yards and put it in the basket. Who are you putting at running back, wide receiver, and tight end? If we're doing musical artists, who, does anyone come out to mind right away? Running back, I put, I put the baby at running back. The baby, good low yeah. center of gravity, shifty. Yeah, and I put takeoff at tight end. I got um, offset playing slot. Okay, and I need somebody tall. I put Thug at the at the at the Y. See, I was thinking Chains, but he's a little bit, but maybe Young Chains. Yeah, Chains. We got to change. Yeah, Young Young Chains. Young Chains. Maybe I thought maybe Wiz Khalifa. Yeah, he, can he, he, he can run a little bit, but he he, he got a little knee injury, man. We don't want to put him out there like that, you know. Coach is Coach K. GM is Jay Z. For sure. And then I kind of thought, what about Ludacris at running back? Just because if he hits the hole, you know what you can yell from the sideline. I'm a, I'm a new generation guy, man. I just I don't I, I'm trying to build a program. I don't need no old guys. Not not trying to, you know what I'm saying. I don't need. I just don't need no. Man, I like don't be an ageist. You like young players I, though. I like freshmen. I don't need no seniors. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I like to run with the red shirt freshmen and the freshmen. One thing though that, dude. So I saw you at the Super Bowl in Minnesota at the Rolling Stones party. 
And it was a great concert. You guys killed it. And I looked on stage and you guys are singing Emmett Smith and there's Emmett Smith covered in sweat. No, he knows every, every lyric of every song that you guys have. It's incredible. Yeah, most definitely. Um, shout out to Emmett Smith. Uh, that song came about, uh, we was just, it, it, it was just like the, the, uh, the comparison of, of a pocket rocket with 22. Yeah. Smith. So that's what that's what it was, and we called it Emmy Smith, and we was just a fan of Emmy Smith growing up. Um, we loved the way he played the game, and he most definitely was one of our favorite running backs. And it, it started a dance move. It really started the dab. Emmy mm. Smith the record started the dab. We started doing the dab dance to that song, Jeez. and then that's when it took off. So we had to come back and then make a song called "Look at My Dad." But if you go back to the original records, it came from like. Emmy Smith, all of us together dabbing on stage. Man, crazy. I can tell you're a sports fan, and I'm I'm just curious, what is it like to do Emmett Smith and then you see a guy that you probably rooted for as a kid love like what has that been like to see your idols become people that are fans of you? Oh, uh, it's a blessing. I, I just appreciate my opportunity of me being here. It's crazy. And I, I never just get overwhelmed. I just be like, that's how it's supposed to be. That's how I saw it. That's how I dreamed it, you know, um, like I'm just living my dream. So it's just, it's not like unreal. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I've been here before, so I'm, I'm just embracing it. Who, who was the guy when you were a kid in the Atlanta area that you were just the biggest fan of? Who was that one athlete? Uh, gotta be Allen Iverson. Yeah, AI for sure. He was like you, man, two sports star, setting trends, changing the game. Most definitely, Allen Iverson. Yeah, I was gonna. I thought you were gonna say Dion. I don't know why I was thinking Dion. Allen Iverson and Michael Vick. I, I mm. gotta say Vick. Without no Vick, you get no left hand number seven Quavo. When when you look right now, and I know that you guys have such a tight relationship with Alvin Kamara, and I'm seeing him up there, and he's got the grill after the touchdowns right now, and he's looking real healthy. How do you handle? Because did you grow up a Falcons fan? Yeah. Being a Falcons fan and having like a good friend playing on the Saints, how do you guys deal with that? Uh, we, I mean, whenever they play the Falcons, I'm most definitely going for the Falcons. But that's my guy. He's from the north side. He's from from the home turf, and we just always, you know, what I'm saying supporting anybody that came from our hood or came from outside of town. So we're gonna most definitely 100% support. I love that. Um, since you're an owner now, fan controlled football again, setting this all up, and we appreciate them making it possible. What kind of an owner do you want to be? You know, we've seen different owners in sports. What would a, a Quavo-owned football team, what are the perks that the players are getting? Uh, conversation, you know what I'm saying? I've been, I've been in both worlds. I've been in the world of madness, and I've been in the world of good, and I live in the world of madness during, like, performing and being an artist. So I, I feel like I can – my understanding level is, is a little bit more – Incredible, and you know what I'm saying somebody that's in a higher power that got billions and billions of dollars that you know what I'm saying can't even totally. share the same menu of food with you. So maybe just you know what I'm saying sitting down and having having a talk, having a talk conversation, just doing a lot of young things that we like to do together, mm. um, and just seeing and, and I don't know, I'm just just be me, be me as much as possible, and make them feel more more comfortable than anyone they ever been around. If this is indeed it, do you ever think this is a dream? 
I said, I'm living my dream. I'm living a dream. We got a song called Living a Dream. And that's how we really feel. Like every day I feel like it's a dream, but don't nothing change. So it's like you live in the dream, you know? I think what's so interesting is like, how do you, when you're living the dream, how do you make sure you don't wake up? And it's, it's, you know, you're, you're trying to stay in that mode, you know? Most definitely. I'm woke. I'm woke. Yeah. I just, the dream don't change. It doesn't change. It doesn't yeah. have to. People change it when they don't have to change it. Right. Um, it, I, I'm curious, as you look at some of the NFL teams that are playing right now, who do you think early signs, who are you thinking for the Super Bowl? Because I know you guys are always performing at the Super Bowl. Who's going to be there with you? Uh, I just, I ain't gonna lie, I like the way the Kansas City Chiefs playing. They got some young guys. A lot of, they got, they got my guy, Nico Harvin from Georgia. Um, I just love the way they playing it. I just seen the way they came out today. It just looked like they was just working so hard during the off season. Each player, you could tell they was like grinding and trying to go get another one. When I could just see the way they fouled the ball and the way they just leaving corners. And it's crazy. Like it's, it's crazy. If I got to you, if I took a time machine back to when you were like 13 years old and I was like, all right, man, I got, I got one or two pills. I got the one pill, which is where you're going to go. But the other pill is you're going to be a professional athlete at 13. Which one do you think you would have picked? I take the pill. You said where I'm going. Mm. I ain't going to take my out. Cause the 13 year old you though was like, man, Ooh, put on the Falcons Jersey or something like that. Or a Hawks Jersey. But 13, I still was rapping. 13, I passed. I was passing out my CD. No way. In the eighth grade. Yeah. So How still, old were you when you really started? I still was doing me. I always rapped. I always made music. I always did half and half. But like, sports was most definitely 100 the the lean way. So I that's a good. I love the visual. Did you just have like a stack of like CDRs, and you were just like cranking out demos and passing them out to people? Yeah, oh. really yeah. Remember when that was gold? Those those empty CDs. I made sure I went to Walmart and had me a stack <laughs> and made sure I always burned me some CDs and kept me some my music going on and 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 playing ball and my music playing ball. I used to just make. I sometimes I used to make songs like for the for the team schools and shit. Like real uh, for the teams. Yeah. And nobody had any idea. For the team. Nah, ain't nobody. They all, they always like my football team. Really, always fuck with my songs, though. They really did. They was, they always sang them and just fuck with them. So I guess they always knew that I had some with the rap. Yeah. And then when I started like rapping, a lot of people came to like my house and wanted to record and wanted to rap and just be a part of my whole setup. Man, do you? Re- I'm gonna kind of wrap it up now. But do you remember the first time where you performed somewhere? And there was no fear. You 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 got on there. You felt the energy from people, and you went, "Ah, this is it." Like the, like it it wasn't about oh, I need to go on and do my best. It was like this is my zone. Do you remember the first time that happened? Uh, uh I want to say um probably this uh my north side performance when when our song started kind of like going big locally mm. and we had did like a local show at this uh venue called wild bills and it was i think that's the time i think it was i think that's the time i knew it was like all right cool because i asked that question to jeezy 
And Jeezy said that he was at a club in Atlanta and he walked in and they played his whole album. And he looked around and they were like, wow, they fuck with me like that. Like he didn't even realize it until people knew all the lyrics and stuff that it kind of clicked for him. Yeah, it takes, it takes a minute. It takes a minute. Like that's like, like I said, our song was going crazy around in the streets and just having a, a crazy street buzz. It was all over the radio, but it would, it would kind of like sometimes we are missing in a club or something. We'll miss that moment in the club where it went crazy. And we went to Wild Bills and had our hometown, you know what I'm saying? Everybody come out and it was sold out and other artists performed, but they were just waiting on us and shit went crazy. That's when we felt like, okay, we taking over the North side and ready to expand our talents to, through the world, to the world. That's awesome. Fan-controlled football. I'm talking with our owners, Quavo. This is truly one of the few times where Quavo is going to be able to beat up on Mike Tyson. And so it's going to be a good game. So we'll check it out. Do you know when it launches? Uh, I think in February 2021. Gotcha. It's going to be on Twitch. Quavo, my man, congratulations on everything. I'm excited to check it out. And do your thing, dude. And thank you all for having me. Yeah, brother. Have a good day, man. I am now joined by a man that you have seen on the sidelines for years. This is a man who has built things like Home Depot and the Atlanta Falcons. His name is Arthur Blank. He is, after reading his book, Good Company, a man I'm a fan of. And Mr. Blank, before I even let you talk, I think it is an interviewer's responsibility to ask a question off the top that makes their guests go, ah, I see you've read the book. So that's what I'm going to attempt to do right now. Okay, you ready? Okay. I look at the way that you built Home Depot. I look at the care that you took with the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I look at even the way that you re-brought back the Falcons in 2002 and listening to everyone. And I can tell that in every decision, I feel like Judaism and the beliefs of Sadaka, Mitzvot, Tacon alum, I feel like you process that into the decision-making every time. And I'm curious, do you do that with every decision? So I think, you know, your, your, um, your thought is, is, is a really good one. And I think that, you know, we're a composite in life of uh, all the things that we experience. And I think my faith has been an important part of my, uh, of my growing up and my life experiences and certainly the impact uh, it had on my parents, uh, my grandparents, who were, all came from Eastern European countries and, uh, and brought their faith with them. Um, so I think from a spiritual standpoint, uh, the notion of being connected to other people and giving back uh, care for communities, our neighbors, the people that we're in service of, I think has all been wired into my head from a very early age. I think it was uh, absolutely you know, part of it. It was something that I would think about in the sense of, well, how would I re respond religiously? But I think I've just been wired that way over the years. So um, the notion of, of uh, human interaction, uh, the notion of the human behavior, the notion of feeling like, you know, that component of all of our businesses and all of our relationships and our community involvement is very, very important. So I, I would agree with all that. I, when I used to, when I was growing up and I'd watch on the sidelines, I'd always go, man, is, is this guy from Atlanta? Like there's a swag yeah. there, the style. Mm -hmm. And then I'm reading the book and I go, oh, he's from right. Queens. Right. And it made so much that, sense. I didn't, I had yeah. no idea. Well, you know, the reason I, I do that and I've over the years, it's been 20 years now, it's my 20th season. It really has nothing to do with uh, being close to the action or anything of that nature. But I've always felt like uh, it's important 
for me as the leader, uh, servant leader, to be, you know, to be down there with the players in the middle of the fourth quarter, whether we're winning or we're losing, we're going for a tie, whatever it may be. And so they see me, they know I'm there with them shoulder to shoulder as best I can be. I don't talk to them. I don't mix with them. I stay between the goal line and the 35-yard line, which is where I'm supposed to stay. Uh, but just my presence there, I think, you know, it, it makes a difference. Um, and that's the way I was wired that way at Home Depot. We'd walk stores wearing our orange aprons. When I go into our PGA yeah. Tour superstores today, I, uh, I, you know, I walk around, try to help customers as best I can. I, at our, get, our, our guest ranches, I serve pie when we do a dinner ride. You know, you read about that in the book. But, it's, sure. you know, it's always trying to connect to the people that we're, that we're serving um, and, uh, and the associates that are delivering that service. So whether it's fans like in Mercedes-Benz Stadium for Atlanta United or a soccer team or Atlanta Falcons or our guest ranches in Montana or our PGA stores, which are now in half the major cities across the country, um, it's always about being close to the associates and being close to the people that we're trying to serve. I just realized, is there any part of you that is a little superstitious? Do you stand on the same no, spot I, every I time? <laughs> I would. I would totally. Well, I'd be know, like, the 23 you know, is I, mine. You know, to, well, truth be told, I'm not superstitious, but if I consciously thought about that, and I would say this, after our last two games, we lost them both, the last one kind of tragically. Oof. Uh, I I, yeah. I would probably find if I thought about it, I'm going to find a different place to stand. I'll go to the other <laughs> side of the bench, and I'll be on the ten yeah. yard line on the other side of the bench instead of on that side of the bench. So, Adam, you made me think about that. And when I we play this coming Sunday yes. against the Bears in Atlanta, I will think about that, and I will be on the opposite. Yeah, go side into of the a different bench. room, watch the game in a different I, uh, room. Well, I'm going to watch a different room because I have to be in a caboose in terms of protection, you know, with masks yeah, yeah. and all the NFL protocols. So. Uh, and, we've, and the NFL has done a great job in that in that regard. We have we test you know uh, probably fourteen thousand, fifteen thousand uh, people oh, yeah. a weekend. And this last weekend we had I think five positive tests out of fifteen thousand. Includes players, coaches, staff, you know, et cetera. So you know, they're it's a beautiful thing when people care yeah, about it. Yeah, it is. It's a great it really thing. Is. Yeah, and that's what it shows really. So. I, I came on before you got on and I was telling my producer and, and some of the production staff, I feel so bad for this guy for this reason and this reason alone. I read in this book, Good Company, about how you, you shared a lot. You shared about redemption for Vic. Right. You shared about uh, players kneeling and right. what it was like to come together. Like if you're a football fan, which is a lot of my audience, this has a lot of those stories. But also you talked about how hard it was to move on from 2017. I'm sorry to bring it's it up okay. to the point where I was like, this guy got rid of the memorabilia and he got rid of everything because he just doesn't want to see it. And to have this interview day happen two days after that comeback, yeah. I was like, yeah, it, I, my heart went out to you, man. I just want you yeah. to know that, I, that I'm yeah. there for you well, in Atlanta well, Falcons. Thank you. But I, really, you know, the reality is that when that the 2017 took place, Super Bowl took place, um, you know, my first mode was like, you know, became a, a father of six. So my first instinct was, Okay, I mean, how do I become a father of, you know, all of our fans, all of my children, uh, all of the players, coaches, et cetera, as best I can, be a support system for them, show them in adversity, how do you lead, uh, and what have you. I did the best I could with that. It probably was about a year or so later that I think the impact of um, the, uh, the loss and the impact of how hard it is to get to the Super Bowl. I mean, it's only two out of 32 teams. There's a lot of parity in the league. 
Um, the ball's not round. It bounces all over the place sometimes, as we saw this last Sunday. Um, and so, you know, there it's not easy to get there. And so it's a unique opportunity. We didn't take advantage of it the way we should have, and hopefully we'll be back there and have a chance to uh, to redeem ourselves. Um, I will say, though, uh, can I ask a dumb question? Yeah, I'm sure it's not dumb. You can ask any question you like. Okay. Why do wealthy people love signing contracts on napkins? What is this obsession? Well, I, I don't know that wealthy people like to do that or don't like to do it. I know it started with me at Home Depot. When we would go through these, you know, um, stressful budget sessions and I would have a division president that would finally say, well, we'll do this much in volume, this much in margin, this much in this much, whatever, how many turns we'd be able to flip our inventory, all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, so at the end of one of these sessions, I would take out not a paper napkin, but a cloth napkin and I'd tell them to sign it. So they look at me and say, you want me to sign it? Yeah, I'll sign it. Yeah. So they would write it out. I, whoever the name may be, agreed to do this, 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 and I'd keep the napkin throughout the year. And it was interesting when we sold the, we bought the Falcons, I should say, from the Smith family, the young man who was representing all the siblings at that time, Taylor Smith, he and I finally reached agreement in a hotel room late at night after a couple of bottles of wine and full dinner and what have you. And uh, so I took out, you know, a cloth napkin and said, will you sign it? And he said, sign what? I said, what I was writing out, I, Taylor Smith, agreed to sell the Atlanta Falcons to Arthur Blank for $545 million. You know, he said, why, why have to sign that? I said, because that's kind of like a blood oath now between you and I. He said, yeah, I mean, we've agreed. I said, I know, but this makes it a little deeper. So um, it's, a, it's a funny thing, the way people respond to having to sign something um, beyond just agreeing to it. So um, anyway, it's just mm-hmm. become a kind of a fun habit. So. Do you have a napkin in your pocket right now? Like, no, is there no, one for no, any occasion? No, there isn't. <laughs> I'll sign it right now. You make me an offer, Mr. Blanket. I'm there. Um, I, I think what, what you said earlier about the testing, uh, I thought about a story you told in the yeah. book, uh, 2002, you go on the plane and you walk back and you want to go talk right. to the players. Uh, if you read Good Company, one of the paramount lessons that you talk about is it's important to listen to people, the people that you're serving. And so you go back there and you say, what do you want? Right. And it's not more money and it's not yeah. a new arena. I, well, we want fans right. in the stands. So it's, and I, that hit me reading it this weekend because here we are yeah. and these guys are going to battle. Right. Like you say, you go to the fourth right. quarter there because yeah. you want to be on the right. battle lines and they don't have the one thing that they asked yeah. you for. Well, what, how, what is that like for you to watch? Because you know that's what they want. Well, uh, under these circumstances, uh, they, they, um, you know, they would know it's the same thing that I want. We should have fans in the building only when the protocols are, are going to be safe. I mean, they want to be safe. The players, the coaches, uh, the fans that are in the building have to be distant. They have to be wearing masks. And, you know, the whole experience is going to be different. And so – you know, we just announced today that we'll be having fans in our building for soccer and for football starting in October. Um, but it'll be a limited number of fans and the experience is going to be different. It'll be different until, yeah. you know, 2021 and people feel completely at ease and uh, about, you know, both the ability to get through uh, the pandemic as well as to get vaccinated to avoid the disease. So, um, you know, they all understand that. I think the key point of that story and I would say this often in, uh, about my partner, Bernie Marcus at Home Depot and myself, is that it's not that you know we were necessarily the most brilliant, but I think we had an inner sense of humility um, and we're able to check our egos, which we both have at the door, and understand that the people we were serving, the 
customers in that case or fans in the case of Falcons or Atlanta United or our guests in terms of our, our guest ranches or our grantees for our foundation, they truly know better than we do about what they want, what they need, what's good and what's not good. And if you're willing to listen to them uh, and probe them, most people will tell you, you'll say, yeah, you really want to know? I'll tell you. These are the things that are great about your business. And by the way, there's a couple of things I don't like. And, uh, and if you respond to those things, uh, people see that, customers see that, they appreciate that. And you don't have to be uh, the most brilliant guy in the room to do that. You just got to be a really good listener and understand that, you know, subordinate yourself to the people that you're serving. And you treat that, uh, you inject that culture into the minds and the hearts and the spirits of your associates. And they have the same kind of attitude towards people that are serving. We're here to serve you. We're here to put smiles on your face. We want to see you all happy. We want to see joy when you leave here. We want to make sure you know, in case of any of our businesses, take the golf business that you're fitted here with the best set of clubs you can have to maximize whatever game you may have, uh, or, yeah. you know, people who are asking for whatever they're asking for in any of our businesses. In case of HD, I would tell our associates, you know, every day should be a home run, home run for you. People coming in the stores, they either have a problem or they have a dream. And so you can make their problem go away and you can make their dream come true. I said, and you can go every day with a smile on your face, because you've been a great service to somebody else. And I think that's really the emphasis of the book is that, you know, profits and, and, uh, and people and people you're serving and the community you're serving, they all go hand in hand. It's not that you can have one without the other. You can have them both together, but the reality is that they enhance each other. So when you have associates that really feel proud of a company, of their values, of the kind of services they provide for the people that are helping pay their salaries, how they treat each other, associates, how we treat suppliers, how we treat the communities we, we live in, not just financially, but in terms of being a really good neighbor. All those things are yeah. important to creating a sense of pride in associates. And therefore, you know, they're going to have a higher level of productivity. Your turnover is going to be less. They're going to want to stay with you longer. And so there's nothing but good that comes out of that. And so it's good for the bottom line, which we need because, you know, profits, support sustainability and we want to also be good for the human side of the equation the people side of the equation i think that's one of the things that i appreciate too is seeing that in a, in a professional sports league where so much is about profit you've even taken that mentality there and i think you know, there was one part where you talked about maimonides and the gift um the, the best gift you can give is empowering someone to establish and support themselves and I thought about what happened earlier this year with uh, the black community. And that's something that you've definitely been focused on uh, through your times on different councils with right. the NFL and just in the Atlanta community. I'm curious, though, as a man that is Jewish, when there was a divide this offseason between those two communities, two communities that I'm sure in Queens you saw connected all the time that you've tried to really help in Atlanta what was that like for you? Because it was a, it was an odd time for me being a Jewish member of the media and also hearing yeah. this from the black community, knowing that they're they're typically such strong communities. Um, you know, I never really saw it, Adam, as a as a gap between the two. Uh, if there was, it was uh, you know it was a, a, a momentary flare up. But I think that there's mm. always been a great sensitivity between uh, the black community and the, and the Jewish community for a lot of reasons, a lot of historical reasons. Uh, that um, you know the African American community has experienced, and Jews have experienced going back for you know for many 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 years, um, and yeah. you know 
one of my one of my closest friends who passed away here was Congressman John Lewis, and and uh, you know he was a great friend of the Jewish community here. Ambassador Young still lives here and is with us, and a great friend of the Jewish community as well. So I I don't um, I mean I I see a great connection between the two, and mm-hmm. um, I've never really felt any any sort of gap that really really is meaningful. You're going to find extremists, you know, when you find extremists, you're going to find no doubt you know, some odd, odd points of view, but, um, you know, I, I feel good about that connection. I really do. I do yeah. too. Uh, I have one last question for you because I think you're uniquely trained. I have this debate with my friends yeah. all the time, uh, about soccer and, and the younger communities in this country and the fervor they have for it. You own a professional football right. team, you own a professional soccer team and you pride yourself on listening. What is the differences in your mind between those two communities and how, how really strong is soccer? For well, fans? you know, I would say, you know, the, the football fans, when they're at their best, they're, they're, they're avid, they're, 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 um, they're full of energy, passion. They, they, you know, they get excited, et cetera. I would say um, our Atlanta United team, which after three, three and a half years holds every attendance record in the history of major league soccer going back 20, 26 years now. Um, you know, I would be respectful and say they, they border on the, on the verge of being, um, you know, somewhere between delirious and crazy. I mean, they, they're just, I mean, in the most positive, respectful way, but I mean, it is, I mean, they call it a beautiful game and I tell you, it's a beautiful game because the simplicity of the game itself and you can follow it without understanding everything in detail, but also, but the fans, I mean, you know, throughout the world, but I would see here in North America too. And I see, we first started looking at major league soccer, the league was ranked 22nd, 23rd in the in the world in terms of leagues, and that was probably 15 years ago. Now it's ranked seventh, and you know soccer in North America tends to get better. And we've set a new standard, a new bar for attendance and performance as well. And so I, you know, I have, you know, I, I love the sport. Um, I love what it also does in terms of community. The kids are playing at all ages. Um, Young boys, young girls playing together. The leagues. Yeah, are- if, if you're looking at it as like a prospecting, as somebody that's built businesses, when you look at soccer, what what kind of? Growth I, I think the growth potential is incredible. I think, uh, and we've seen that. You know, we've seen that not only in the land, but really throughout the uh, throughout the league as well. Um, our new expansion team in St. Louis, which won't play for several years, we held the 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 record for the most seats sold in the first year in 25 years. They just passed it. You know, I mean, so wow. it's like, you know, and this is in St. Louis. Louis. Yeah. And they're not yeah. in the Mercedes. No, Benz in St. Louis. And I'm not even sure where they're going to play yet. I don't, I don't remember a fan, wow. but I mean, I think they're going to build yeah. a soccer specific stadium down by the water, which would be, uh, which would be great. But the point is that soccer, I think is definitely on the um, ascension. The other thing, which I think is beautiful about it is that you come to the Mercedes Benz stadium, you watch a soccer match. Do you feel like you're in the United Nations? I mean, there is one of everything inside of our building. Um, and people, there's not one soul you can find sitting down. Everybody's standing up, man, woman, child makes no difference. Everybody's standing up. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great sport and we're, we're pleased to be part of it. And our stadium was designed to accommodate not only NFL, obviously the Falcons, but it was designed based on FIFA standards for world cup to accommodate soccer. So we hope to be uh, one of the host teams, host stadiums, I should say for soccer and World Cup soccer in 2026. I wish you luck on thank that, you. Mr. Blank. Thank you for thank joining Thank you, Adam. Me. I appreciate you reading the book and I appreciate the questions. They're excellent. So.
You know, I think today you've been good. <laughs> you see what I, yes. I love that. That's great. No, but seriously, thank you <laughs> thank so you. much. God bless. Really thank enjoyed you. it. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Have thank a great you. day. Bye. I just want to ask everybody out there. Did you hear that little chuckle at the end when he went? <laughs> That's all I'm looking for. David Ingber is a chuckle from a billionaire named Arthur Blank. I, I'm not going to lie. I'm still, we're still recording. I'm a sucker for this shit, Ingber. When I read about people that like care about their employees and call them associates and like, like build the Mercedes Benz stadium. It was like, how do we create drainage? Because this area of Atlanta over floods, like, is there profits in mind? Yes, but I am a sucker for people. And it, it's written by him. You know what I mean? So I'm sure there are some business aspects that are left out, but I always looked at Arthur Blank as a dude on the sideline where I would go, where are the train tracks? Where, like he looked, he, remember when he was younger, he'd be like, oh, the evil villain. And now that I see that he's such a good guy, huge Arthur Blank fan, David Ingber, huge Arthur Blank fan. That was a great interview. That was a lot of fun to listen to. It reminded me of a case study I read about a certain sandwich shop. I'm not sure if I would be allowed to say it, but basically they have all the executives from the CEO down. They have to spend one day every six months working as a sandwich maker in one of their shops around the world. They have to physically make the sandwiches. They have to talk to customers. They have to wipe down the tables. And mm -hmm. I think that stuff is important. And I think it's, it's a mentality that you can have as a corporation to have empathy, to really think about the people that are making the, the, the trains go, making the company work. And it sounds like he's got a lot of that, uh, which, which is. Yeah, it's a see. lot. It's like every, every when you, when you kind of read about Home Depot and, and all that stuff. And I mean, th this, the thing about the napkins, he played it off. Rich people have a thing about napkins. I feel like it's like they want their own memorabilia. And that way, like you can frame a napkin. You can't like, nobody wants to frame a contract. But there is something romantic about doing a contract on a napkin that I had to ask him about because I would like to that get to that level of wealth where I'm doing deals that need to be. It's the personal touch of business, right? You know, you and I, we were sitting in that lounge and we'll remember that forever because that was the day we shook hands. We looked each other in the eye and said, I'm willing to sell you a billion dollar franchise. Yeah. Oh, I, I man. All right. I read a book, guys. Check it out. Uh, I'll stand by. Also, they buttered me up and they sent me a foul. It didn't say it was from Arthur Blank, but it came a few days and then I got the book. So I was very buttered up. Um, but people that listen know that I am not someone that can look at the owner in the eye and be like, so you're going to fire Dan Quinn? Like, all I like, I don't, I don't really want to talk about that. That makes me, because I remember, if you remember, I said Dan Quinn was going to be the first to get fired last year. But that's unrelated. But that was a good time. That was Arthur Blank for David Ingber. What a delight. Oh, the L E F K O E. Holler, peace.